Hello and welcome to the Rooted in the Really Real podcast. Get ready to go on a journey of knowledge, growth, healing, and prayer rooted in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Rooted in the Really Real podcast. Thank you so much to everyone who is listening. Thank you to everyone who's been following along for this attachment theory series that we've been doing. We're going to continue our discussion on attachment today, and we're six episodes in. This time we're focusing on the disorganized attachment style. So while all the insecure attachment styles can definitely flag some uncomfortable topics or cause some unresolved emotion to be triggered in in some people, I do want to say that this episode will be a little heavier than the others because a main marker of the disorganized attachment style is trauma and abuse and a sort of shattered self, which is hard to, to to really talk about, to process, especially if somebody listening has a disorganized attachment style. It can really be a delicate place to to face these realities. So I just wanted to say that, um, know that going into this. We want to look at what this attachment style is, how it comes about, and what it means for relationships and prayer. So that being said, Father Steve, what are you looking forward to today? I'm really looking forward to giving a place of hope for those who who have this attachment style. I think that sometimes we can get caught up in these in these styles of attachment and forget that the Lord can break through and that he wants to break through and lead us into the security of his love and the security of the future that he really has planned for us that he has in store for us. So, I'm I'm just looking forward to just conveying hope. I want to start with the characteristics of the disorganized attachment style. And so people who have a disorganized attachment style have a negative view of self and a negative view of others. They have a really hard time believing that they themselves deserve love and that they're worthy of love. Um, They also don't trust others or believe that others would really be willing or able or competent enough to give them that love. And so they are able to find darkness and negativity really wherever they go. Because of this, they have a sort of mixed bag of attachment problems or difficulties resulting in a shattered self. So it is also a much more rare attachment style to have. Most people are either secure, avoidant, or ambivalent. But a small percentage of people do fall into this disorganized attachment style category. I just want to highlight, too, that it really is a small percentage. I think as you're listening, you might say, well, what I'm about to hear resonates with me, so this must be me. But most of us are uh, secure as, or avoided or ambivalent, or we're a mix in some ways of them having one being stronger than the other and having tendencies of the, of, the, of the other. But very few, in terms of percentages, really have this disorganized style of attachment. And so one of the characteristics of a person with a disorganized attachment style is disassociation. So when heightened emotions or pain is triggered, painful memories, um, different instances or flashbacks of trauma, a person essentially goes emotionally and psychologically limp and shuts down from the reality they are experiencing because it's just, it's too much. It's too much to bear. It's too overwhelming. It's really like they go to a different world. And so disassociation really is that ability to psychologically cleave off thoughts, feelings, and even physical pain at times and shift the experiences to some other part of the consciousness. So children can do this naturally when coping with life's normal anxieties. They sort of 
turn away from reality. They they turn to imaginative play to solve conflicts or meet a need that, that can't be resolved in reality. Back to our first episode on attachment, Mary Ainsworth in her study found that children she classified with a disorganized attachment style were unable to coordinate a coherent attachment strategy to their mother when she was in the room with them and when she got up to leave for a few minutes as well. When the mother re-entered the room, some children would dart towards their mother, but then just before they reached reached the mother, they would fall on the floor or decide they didn't want to go towards her. Others would be clearly upset when the mothers left, but after a minute of crying, they'd stop and just stare off into space. They were already, as as very young children, disassociating from from their experience and, and shutting down whatever emotional experience they were having. In all the cases she saw, these children had no clear, consistent strategy or coping mechanism to deal with anxiety in their parents' presence. These were outward indicators that these children then viewed their parents as both the source and solution to their fear, because they couldn't even have a way of coping with anxiety when their parents were present, it really showed that their parents are, are a great source of anxiety, and they didn't even have that freedom really with the parents to ever calm down, to ever regulate their emotions. And so how does this attachment style come about? One of the, the main markers here is a loss of a safe haven within the parental dynamic. So a child who grows up with a disorganized attachment style does not find safety or comfort in their parents, but there's often torment, abuse, pain, danger, distress present within within the relationship. Children should experience a, a felt security with their parents, but but some don't. Because of the power and authority differential, parents become both the source and perceived solution to their fear and anxiety. So the primary way this attachment style comes about is through an abusive family of some sort. Survivors of trauma, whether that be any type of abuse, war victims, domestic violence, extreme poverty, they often have these similar patterns of symptoms that a disorganized attachment style shows. And so the book that we've been using throughout all of this, Attachments, Why You Love, Feel, and Act the Way You Do, it goes into now naming um, the six types of child abuse. And I think this is important because it, it goes to show how sometimes with the disorganized attachment style, we think it has to be one way or abuse has to look one certain way. And they they lay out six different types. We aren't going to go into all of them extensively um, because that would be multiple other episodes. Um, but we're just going to highlight what's important here for this attachment style. And so when you hear child abuse, I think most people think of sexual abuse or addictive behavior. And so those are two of the types mentioned but they're more self-explanatory for our purposes in this episode. And so some less obvious forms are psychological abuse. So this could be hard-handed rejection, sarcastic put-downs, callous harshness, confused inconsistency in the family and in the parenting, and unreliable care. Those are a few examples of psychological abuse. These parents almost always deny how insensitive or, or rude they are to their to their children. Um, and another marker of this is they usually use a kinder, more patient voice when talking to their kids in front of other people. They notice them using a, a completely different voice when they're in the presence of others because of that that natural um, rejection, sarcasm, the, the harshness that's, that's usually present. 
another type of child abuse in this situation is emotional neglect. So functional parenting, they mention, is parenting that focuses only on the physical needs of children. You can have a great family, you can have great parents who have a great job, and they, they give you everything you can need physically. These parents make sure their children have food, clothing, a bed, probably a phone, video games, etc., but, but there's no warmth in the home, no physical touch, no emotional connection. And so the children's emotional needs go unmet. And then the last type mentioned is exposure to severe marital conflict. The idea here is that all couples argue from time to time, and it can actually be potentially good for the children to see how to manage conflict and have healthy arguments in a relationship. However, when the arguments turn into screaming, physical struggles, or violence, a child's own sense of security is is really threatened there, and a deep anxiety takes place in the heart. You know, these these different styles of, of child abuse um, were very new to me when, when I was reading this, but when I began to reflect on my work with uh, just a number of men and women in direction, I could see certain patterns of relationships with, with their parents that manifested these, where one of the people was just always, everything that she said was rejected. Everything that was said, every idea, everything that, there was nothing that this person could do uh, to, to please her parents. And, and she looked she, she looked dumbfounded. She, she just couldn't figure it out and eventually just stopped trying. And, and the challenge with, with all of this, right, the challenge with all of this is that it affects this, this deep identity of self, uh, as you're saying, Ashley, and, and, and having the space to, to look there um, because these are, these are real. And I have seen all six of them and, and I've worked with men and women with all six of them. And I have good news, though, too, is that I've watched the Lord just break into these places and create spaces of security and safety, even in the darkest of places. And so that's that's also what's really important. But but I think we don't take seriously enough what we've experienced in our childhood, and we have a tendency to downplay it. I want to encourage everyone to have the courage to name what might be coming up to not cast it aside as just something that I'm making up in my mind or something that I'm making up in my own thoughts, but really to, to claim ownership of, of those thoughts, of those feelings of discomfort, of hurt, or of pain, or even that thought like that that was odd. Or it's odd that my, my parents might treat one sibling vastly different than another. There's something odd about that. And, and to have the freedom to name it without judging our parents, but to to name that so that we have the freedom to honor our own experience and our own story. Yeah, like I I mentioned previously, a lot of us, I think, have a picture in our head or have some kind of definition when we think of abuse. But it might be new for a lot of people to think of something like emotional neglect being a form of abuse. And I think because the the whole nature of emotional neglect is we're told as children, you know, don't make a big deal out of nothing. Like, you should be grateful. You have everything you need. And it, it kind of is, is handed to us in a way that could be, oh, like, yeah, I am the problem. I'm the one making a big deal out of nothing. Like, I should be grateful. I have food. I have a great house. I, I have everything I want. My parents let me play all the sports I want or I have all the friends I, I could ever want. 
but that emotional connection, the emotional needs are missing in the home. There's no, there's no warmth and space for that connection. And so that might be a layer of our story that we haven't really realized, or we wouldn't label as, as abuse or anything that negatively affected us. But it, but I think it is worth just looking at our story and, and asking the Lord, like, what, what, what here is relevant? Like, what is important? What has affected me? And just having, like you said, Father Steve, that courage, that openness to, to name what's present, to name what's bubbling up mm-hmm. instead of just pushing it all aside. That's, that's definitely important. I want to move now to talking about something called the power of reflection. Developmental psychologists have found that that the ability to label our internal experiences, the ability to name what we're feeling inside, is called the power of reflection. And along with empathy, it really helps us in, in many ways, just as humans interacting with each other and understanding ourselves. This power of reflection helps us in this ability to know and understand feelings in general. It helps us manage our intense emotions. We know what our emotions are, and we understand that they're only emotions, and they don't have to take over our lives or dictate how we respond to situations. There's a healthy understanding of emotions and where they fit. If we have that that developmental ability, if we've grown in that ability to label what, what we're feeling inside. It also helps us manage our impulses. So our ability to reflect on what's going on inside ourselves helps us understand when we're acting on something unusual and unexpected or when we shouldn't act on something. For example, you may want to punch your boss for embarrassing you or not appreciating you, but the power of reflection keeps those thoughts and actions from from happening. The same intellectual and emotional process that allows empathy that ability to see the world through another's eyes also allows us to feel close and connected to the ones we love. It's the basis for caring and compassion. And then finally, reflection on our inner experiences and emotions lets us believe we can actually influence others with our words, not just our actions. Our words have influence and power. I think reflection is really one of the most important parts, too, of of our life of prayer, but also of the ability to to simply say that emotions come from somewhere. And in reflection, I am able to discern and discover where those feelings are, are coming from. What are the thoughts that feed them or what are the experiences that feed those emotions? And this is really important, both for our, for our ability to relate to others and our ability to engage in prayer and to share vulnerably with God. Right. Right. And so why do I bring all this up now? It's because trauma, abuse, it, it destroys the power of reflection within an individual, especially as we're looking at the disorganized attachment style, that ability to really reflect and and name what we're experiencing inside, that that's not present. And it's not just not present, it's something that wasn't developed and we didn't grow into or have the the freedom or space to really learn. So everything I just mentioned, that ability to understand our feelings and have the proper perspective on them, managing impulses, being empathetic, these are all things the disorganized person struggles tremendously with. In traumatized children, that emotional development of the power of reflection is not there. It is undeveloped, and so instead of understanding the self, trauma causes 
or really forces children to step outside of the self and leave the trauma behind. They're not able to, to process it. They're not able to name it. And that stepping outside of the trauma is essentially what disassociation is that we mentioned earlier. Disassociation and reflection are incompatible. You can't step outside of reality and shut down emotionally while also being very attentive to what you're experiencing within. So if the child faces reality, they are often overwhelmed by fear and anxiety. These emotional holes really follow a person into their adulthood and, and affect their relationships. And so the effects of the disorganized attachment style, this shattered self, one of the main ones is identity problems. A sense of our identity and, and the personal strength that accompanies it really allows us to form strong values and, and commit ourselves to goals. We had everything that we've talked about in, in our episodes and identity and how it relates to story and we continue to bring identity into all these episodes. This is also talking about identity, not even in relation to prayer or necessarily like the spiritual understanding of identity, but just simply like having a sense of self is really what helps us label what we like and, and what we don't like. Having a sense of self is what forms those values and, and helps commit ourselves to those goals. And so when the self is shattered by trauma, and turmoil, so is the sense of identity. They lack that commitment. They lack the motivation and desire to have consistent values and goals. They lack that purpose. So they also have trouble learning from past experiences. There's not really a cohesiveness to their story or, or a timeline they can look at. It's all fragmented bits and pieces. They're just trying to survive, really. Other effects of the disorganized attachment style include having emotional storms, flashbacks, a state of you know, physical alertness and anxiety at all times, making faulty assumptions, and having really distressed relationships. So then moving into what this means for friendships and intimate relationships, as you can imagine, it's, it's a very difficult place. For a disorganized person, it is nearly impossible to have good relationships. There's a real lack of boundaries in, in general with, with oneself and in their relationships. There's fear and distrust in others and really an inability to speak on their own desires, what their wants are, their needs are, their longings. And so when you add all that together, that fear, the distrust, the lack of boundaries, the inability to speak on what they're experiencing, what that power of reflection shows, it really makes it difficult for them to encounter another, to really engage with another, because they often are not bringing themselves to the table for what they're really experiencing. And they often are either disassociating, they're worried about other other things, their anxiety and fear is coming so much into the picture that it's hard for them to really be present to another person. Relationships in general are seen as unhealthy. They're unsafe places that, that cause anxiety and stress. And so many fears are really bound up in relationships. And the disorganized attachment style shows that, that fear in both intimacy and abandonment. Where earlier we talked about that fear of intimacy being more present in the avoidantly attached person and the fear of abandonment being more present in the ambivalently attached person. But disorganized, it's really just, it's a mix of a lot of it. And there's not a lot of hope and positivity present. So unless there is, is healing or a breaking of the cycle, disorganized people also likely pass on their, 
their toxic effects of trauma onto their children, or they act out of that place and project their pain and grief onto others. So I, I think without saying a whole lot, we can say that when one goes to pray, this their initial uh, the style initially affects prayer in a very profound way. It makes it really, really hard for the individual to want to sit there because the first thing that we're being asked to do is to notice within our own hearts what's bubbling up. And because disorganized uh, persons often spend so much time disassociating from that, it's one of the most challenging things. I remember in seminary, just a young gentleman who was there sharing with me an incredibly traumatic story uh, had no emotional response. And and I, I looked at him and I said, if your friend had told you this story, how would you have responded? And it was a moment of just like, aha, like, oh, like I would be angry and I would be upset and it wouldn't be okay. And it takes someone to sit oftentimes with uh, a disorganized person to help them begin to to name that in a place of security and a place of love. Um, and this takes place in, in spiritual direction. So this was a, 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 an ongoing relationship that the gentleman and I had, which allowed for this to take place. But initially in his own relationship with the Lord, there was this great difficulty of even knowing what to say or where to start and not being able to trust anything that was going on and just not even knowing who he was with the Lord. And, and it was for him very difficult to to be there. In fact, he would he could only stay there for a few minutes, uh, and then he'd have to stand up or step out and and then reengage, because the sitting still and and just noticing was so uncommon uh, for him. It was not something he was used to. Also, for those who have a disorganized attachment, right? Well, really, all of us we have a tendency to project onto God. Uh, our our parents, the way our parents treated us, the way our parents responded to the things that we said, the way that our parents would would act or would would come to us in our our time of need, we project that onto the Lord because, as we we mentioned earlier, our parents are meant to be windows into the love of God, and in the case of disorganized attachment, what ends up happening is is that that loss of a safe haven that loss of a place of security, that the one who is there to care for them but is also the one that torments them, right? This this transfers onto God. And it takes a great deal of time and patience to allow the Lord to really dis- disabuse us of this false sense of who he is. But he wants to do that. He wants to be there with us to slowly strip away this false conception of who he is. And because he recognizes in us these, these really difficult experiences, he often brings to us a saint or our lady or someone who can meet us where we're at and develop a trusting relationship with them so that they can lead us to the Father. And I've seen this many times uh, with, with many individuals where they may not be able to go to Jesus or to, to the Father, but they can talk to Mary. Or they can talk to St. Joseph. And as they cultivate that relationship with one of the saints, they bring them to introduce them to Jesus in a way where their trust is enough for them to begin to trust our Lord. And I give God thanks for this because 
it is truly miraculous the healing that takes place and the way that he mark he walks with souls. The other thing that often happens too is is that a false identity is present, not knowing who God made me to be, and so grasping a lot of grasping after all sorts of of ways. Uh, to try to figure out who I am and and to impress upon the world, it's like, well, this this is who I need to be to protect myself. And and as Ashley just mentioned, right, the, there's a tendency to repeat um, and to hand on these attachment styles if we don't bring, if we don't allow the Lord into them. He really wants to meet us. Uh, he wants to meet us here. I think it's so important for those who who have a disorganized attachment style. To, to know that I have watched the Lord enter into the lives of individuals who have a severe trauma, and I have watched the Lord's cult, the Lord cultivate friendship with them and relationship with them to help them step out in security. It really is a work of grace, and every person is worthy of knowing the security of having a safe haven of knowing that they're loved, of knowing that they are chosen. All I can say is, is that each of you is worthy of that gift of knowing you're loved by God through and through, and that there is nothing that he is afraid of and that he is there with you. And I know this personally in my own story. I know that Ashley knows it in her story. It doesn't make it easy but it does make it possible to walk into the great freedom and the love that God has for us. I just ask for the Father's blessing upon you to fill, to fill each of us really uh, with that knowledge that we are chosen in him, that we are loved, that we are wanted, and that he has for us that gift of safety because he is our Father, our Abba. And may God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. You can also follow our Facebook page, Rooted in the Really Real Podcast, and Ashley Poltorek on Instagram for episode information and more. God bless.